This is Life with Catherine, sharing stories from my heart with a smile, and I'll even sing once in a while. Together, we'll learn more about the people who inspire me. Come along, pond. Hi, and welcome to episode 31 of Life with Catherine on Friday, February 20th, 2017. This episode is called Richard in Center Field, High School Stories for His Son. Growing up, my husband Brian had two best friends, Richard and Mike. Brian and Mike are still close, but we lost Richard when, we were, when, our, um, when our kids were little. Now that Richard's son is in high school, I thought I'd ask Brian to share some stories about their shenanigans as teenagers. This was recorded a few months ago, but I've been uh, trying to put it together. So, Jeremy, this is for you. I met Richard and Caitlin right around the time they got married, in the mid-90s. He was working at Winning Spirit, which was the most popular sports store for Canucks mer merchandise and all other hockey, and he was working his way towards becoming a statistician. I remember he was a straightforward, friendly, kind, loyal, and funny person. He had a brain for numbers and sports. They gave him another level of enjoyment watching and playing a game. He and Brian were both obsessed with sports and could talk for hours about hockey and baseball and the list goes on. I watched Brian and Richard play on the Exciters, our local softball team, and I even played a few times, too. One time he put me in during a playoff spot, like during a playoff game. Uh, and just to be kind and inclusive, because that's who he was. Trust me, it was not because I was a good player. And you should have seen his face when I accidentally caught the ball and won the game. Obviously, there were many plays that happened in order to win the game. But you get what I mean. His face, he really couldn't believe it. It was like, what? <laughs> it was awesome. I named this episode Richard in Center Field because he really liked the song Center Field by John Fogarty and he loved baseball. So here are some stories from Brian for you. This audio was actually originally part of an episode Brian did for me in the past called Retro Gaming, but... I saved this piece. Uh, instead of putting it as part of that, I saved it with the intention of one day giving it to you. So here you go. I think I'm going to sort of end it there. And what I'm going to do is just, just tell a couple of stories for the sake of my friend and family and his son, just to give him some insight into who his dad was. And hopefully at some point in his life, he may listen to this, but I may, uh, this may evolve. I may add to it, but 
accessing the recesses of my mind for the sake of, the, of this podcast. As I said earlier, um, his father and I used to play National Pro Hockey, the board game, uh, in his parents' apartment, and I, I know the two of us were absolutely insane, and we would run to his deck, slide open his screen door, and yell out he scores in our best uh, hockey commentator voices, and I'm sure it drove his neighbors nuts. Uh, thankfully, for the majority of the time, it was right after school, so it was kind of anywhere from 3 o'clock all the way up to dinner time. So if any of you are those people who are listening out there, I apologize for that, but uh, we were teenage kids. What can you do? So he, so your dad was definitely much like me in terms of he was into statistical games, he was into sports. Uh, there was one time when uh, Safeco Field in Seattle opened, and it was the first season uh, that it had opened. Uh, we went to a game together, and one of the batters on the Mariners came up, and they flashed what their their batting average was. And the two of us sat there for a couple of minutes, and we were able to calculate exactly how many at-bats they would have had during the year to get their awkward number of batting average. So yes, that's how silly and stupid we were with statistics. So your dad certainly loved that. There was one time when we were in high school, I think it was probably grade 11 or grade 12, that it, school was probably, actually it was probably grade 11 because school would have been out for the summer and it was a beautiful warm summer night and weren't, it wasn't a single star in the sky and somehow our night took us to our high school and we were more nerds than anything. We weren't troublemakers, so we weren't there at the high school to vandalize the school or anything like that, but there were about three or four of us there and... We decided we were going to climb up on the um, one of the building's uh, roofs and just check out what was on the roof of the school. Sadly, I am short, so I do not. I'm not a, a good climber. I do not make. So um, I, uh, for whatever reason, I either chickened out and I wimped out, or um, it was a combination of that. And how the hell do I climb up onto this school? So, if, so I was basically left um, down on the grass, watching as the rest of them climbed up onto the school. And, and I remember hearing them call up from the school that there were a couple of dodgeballs, a couple of soccer balls, and whatever else up on the roof that the uh, janitors hadn't uh, retrieved yet. As much as it wasn't and didn't make for an amazing experience, it'll always stay with me because as I was staring up at the roof, uh, looking to see what they were doing and what was going on and were we going to get caught, and a uh, shooting star went by. And I remember it's one of the few shooting stars I've ever seen. And um, so many times we look up at the night sky and we just think it's two-dimensional. It's a canvas with shimmering dots on it and there's nothing more to it. And I think it really opened up my teenage mind to the idea of just how vast space is and just how much there is out there that goes unseen during the day and oftentimes gets ignored at night. So, so he helped uh, make for an amazing lifelong memory for me. There was another time... Uh, we were probably, oh, I'm guessing about 19 or 20, and we went to the local gym, and we're all working out, and they got a good sweat in at the gym, and there were four of us. Uh, there was um, my friend Richard, my other friend Mike, and uh, the one that had the fever dream, and another friend, uh, Patrick, and we finished working out at the gym, and we figured, yeah, let's reward ourselves. Let's go get Dairy Queen. So we drove off to Dairy Queen in, in Pat's car, and... Uh, it was probably a mid-1980s uh, Toyota Corolla, and so we went to uh, to Dairy Queen and got our fill of uh, blizzards, and we decided we were going to take them and eat them from uh, a viewpoint up on on our on a local mountain here, Burnaby Mountain. So it has it looks west. You have to imagine this parking lot is uh, cut uh, cut into uh, 
the hillside up on Burnaby, on uh, what is called Burnaby Mountain, and basically right at the edge of the parking lot, it kind of drops off, and it's a grassy hill, and you look westward toward downtown Vancouver, and beyond that, you've got the ocean and the mountains, so it's a really uh, picturesque, beautiful view. So we're all sitting there, just late teens, early 20s, eating our blizzards, and it starts to get dark, and it's twilight, and the next thing you know, there's a police car. And the police car's doing its standard uh, patrol of the parking lot, and it's going through the parking lot. And one of the and the uh, officer in the passenger seat, uh, one of the uh, one of the RCMP constables, uh, shining his flashlight into the cars as they as they go by in the parking lot. And as we were parked to our right, there was a uh, car of two girls, and of course we were teenage, early twenties guys, and so we checked them out at one point. And as the cop car is approaching our car, how we were seated in the car, and this is kind of important, is uh, Pat was behind the wheel because it was his car. Richard was in the right front seat. I was in the right rear seat. And Mike was in the left rear seat. So as the car goes by, Richard announces to us all, watch this. And he basically ducks down under, under his seat like he's hiding something or he's trying to avoid or elude the police. So sure enough, they stop behind us. And right away, the girls next to us in the car kind of panic because they see a couple they see a cop car approaching a car full of four guys so of course they take off right away and get the heck out of there so one police officer came up to our side of the car the other came up to mike and pat's side of the car so basically uh richard and i were a couple of nerdy white guys the base and the uh, police officer just took our id took our information and left us alone which is kind of surprising considering richard was the one that instigated all this on the other side of the car, not so much. They decided to grill Pat and my friend Mike. Mike at the time was growing his hair out. And let's just say when he was in PE class, everyone called him Jesus. So he ha he was sporting hair length, hair all the way down past his shoulders and um, probably had some facial hair going on at the time as well. Not sure about that. The police basically were grilling them back and forth like, what have you got on you? How, you know, what have you been up to for the evening? Have you got anything? Have you got any contraband on you? It's like, have, have any of you been drinking tonight? And Mike, in his cheekiest voice, looked at the officer and said, why, no, officer, we wouldn't do that because that would be illegal. And I am so surprised we got away. He got away with that. But uh, we found out later that apparently they were looking for somebody who was hawking a bunch of stolen goods and they thought our gym bags may have had a bunch of stolen goods in them. So it uh, makes for a good story. I remember for the rest of the evening we were cursing Richard out for doing what he did. Uh, but again, um, looking back on it, it was hilarious. So so anyways, I just wanted to mention that. Let's see what else. Um, just, just that uh, he was an amazing guy. He was an amazing friend. I always said he could have been a teacher. And um, if not a teacher in an educational capacity, he could have been a coach and, uh, and, and or, or some sort of sports instructor. He was always amazing at mimicking professional athletes, not so much in their batting stance, but their, um, or, or their stance, but more so their form and their technique. And he was very much a technician and he would pick up on um, the movements and the fluidity of certain athletes' movements. And he was able to mimic it, especially in the tennis court. And uh, he was always trying to perfect his shot uh, when he played basketball. Um, so he was really very much a student of sport. And uh, again, I think he would have done really well. He had the patience. I know a lot of times he tried to teach me um, certain things, whether it was a tennis serve or 
something like that. He was just very good at mimicking and uh, replicating the uh, various motions and movements in sports. So, um, so uh, uh, Jeremy, you need to know that about your dad. I'm probably going to go on about this uh, at length some other f- uh, future event, but uh, Richard and Mike and I used to hang around a lot. We would play uh, street hockey uh, whenever we got the chance. There was one time we decided to drive all the way up to Burnaby Mountain again, uh, but this time it was up to the SFU campus. And if you've ever been up there on the windy road up to SFU, on the left-hand side as you approach the campus, there is a steep hill. And at the top of that hill, it's leveled, and there's at least one tennis court there. And just above that is the running track something you may use one day because I know you're into track and field. So well done, sir. Anyways, it was a winter day. There was snow everywhere, except we were able to uh, clear or the snow on the tennis court had melted. And there we were playing street hockey on this uh, tennis court. And at one point, we had also brought my parents' old aluminum toboggan. And at best, it would fit three small kids on it. Uh, Us teenage kids, you might get two of us on it. And so Mike decided... And I and I do believe the world owes him some gratitude because I do believe he created the sport of snowboarding uh, well before its time because he took my parents' toboggan and the uh, yellow rope that was attached to it, tied it around his foot, and decided I'm going to basically snowboard down this hill or snow surf down this hill. And, of course, your dad, Richard, and I, of course, were compassionate people, and instead of watching him and cheering him on, we decided to form snowballs and fire them at him as hard and fast as we could as he went down the hill. And so sure enough, Mike fell over and proceeded to drag my parents' toboggan down the hill with him until it ended up hitting him. So yes, we were kind, compassionate teenage boys. Don't mimic that. Um, so anyways, that's another story about something we uh, we did in our youth. I know uh, Mike can tell you more about his stories at UBC, but the two of them were uh, classmates and went to UBC together. And oftentimes they were playing pickup basketball out at UBC and would tell me about their stories of attempting to slam dunk out on the UBC basketball courts. So uh, I'm going to think about some more stories, I hope, and want to make sure uh, uh, we're able to share them with you. Hopefully you appreciate them in some way. Um, whether it be now or uh, later, but I just wanted to give you a little bit more insight into how amazing your dad was. I know there was one time, uh, one summer, he uh, took up a summer job and he was a night watchman for his grandfather's company and it was out on Annesis Island and it's very much uh, an industrial area, a lot of warehouses, maybe the occasional factory thrown in, but your dad on his own was a night watchman or security guard and he worked 9 to 5. That would be 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. And he was basically out in this warehouse full of full of car tires, uh, making sure that nobody broke in and stole them. So he had his own little office in the corner. I can't remember if he had a TV or if he just had a radio, but there was himself and some sort of guard dog. And he spent several, several weeks, several shifts, working for his grandfather at this uh, basically tire storage facility on Ennis's Island. And I thought, wow, are you brave? I don't think I could ever do that. So being in basically a dark warehouse uh, in the middle of the night. So so that was one story about his early employment. One summer, your dad and I, uh, we were about 16 and uh, we both got jobs at the P&E. And, uh, it's, as you know, it's about a two and a half week period, August and September. And depending on uh, how you look at it, I, for the most part, figured I lucked out 
in that I got a uh, the job that I got I was basically washing dishes so as much as I was in a hot stuffy kitchen scrubbing dishes for my shifts and I'd be sweaty and gross and tired when I was done I at least would be paid in a paycheck and your dad worked for one of the carnival rides on the midway sorry not rides on um, one of the games where basically there was a giant milk jug and it had a flared opening on the top and you would take a softball and uh, you would pay however many dollars for, for I think it was three chances and basically if you threw the softball in the opening of this milk jug which was barely any wider than the softball you would get a massive stuffed bear stuffed animal of some kind so of course the idea is people would spend tons of money and uh, never come away with anything and uh, at best occasionally somebody might win something and so the guy your dad worked for ended up paying him cash so on this one particular night um, what we would often do is we, we would have different shifts sometimes our paths wouldn't even cross I'd have a day shift he'd have a night shift but I would usually take the bus and from the uh, Peony, you would have to walk up Hastings to what is called the Kootenai Loop. It was a bus loop where all the buses, you would, uh, it was a hub where you would take a bus from and the bus would take you further along Hastings to home. So I'm sure I worked that night, but I was long since gone. I would usually be home by 10, 11 o'clock at night, but the fair was open, uh, the Peony was open really late and one night your dad came home even later and he was waiting at the bus loop and uh, he was just sitting on the bench waiting for his bus, waiting for his bus, and he had his backpack with him. And in that backpack, he had several hundred dollars of well-earned money um, that he got uh, working at the fair. And uh, he also had his uh, Walkman, which is basically a music player that, that you could listen to the radio on and you could play cassette tapes of whatever your favorite band or group was or, or um, singer. Sort of predates the iPod, really, really predates the iPod. So anyways, your dad is there with a backpack with several hundred dollars in it and his favorite favorite music player. And up, up the street comes a group of about four to six guys. And they were about the same age as your dad, maybe even a bit older. And one of them was, was talking like he was kind of the leader of the group. And uh, they quickly approached your dad. And for whatever reason, he just realized, I got to stay calm. I just got to stay calm. Just be chill. Just be as cool as I can. And don't panic. And basically what these guys were trying to do is um, they were they were trying to make your dad run they wanted basically it's almost like sport they basically wanted your dad to run and they wanted to chase him and basically chase hunt him down or chase him and uh, he wasn't having any anything of it and your dad was really brave he was calm at one point the leader of the group took your dad's backpack said give me your backpack and he was like okay and he just gave it to him and he got it and before he had a chance to open it one of the other guys uh, was actually quite kind and he looked at the leader and basically said hey man like just give him his backpack back like you know be cool this just isn't happening and so I think he realized it wasn't it wasn't even sport it wasn't even fun he realized what they're doing was wrong and thankfully the guy gave uh, your dad his backpack back and he and they went on their way and they didn't and they left him alone so um, I always I always look at your dad as uh, uh, being very calm cool and collected and uh, um, he was always uh, he was always that way. Very little would rattle your dad or get him upset. He was always even keeled. Um, never, I can barely think of any time when I mean, um, certainly you know he would he would get occasionally upset, but it was usually about sports or something like that. So he, I don't remember him ever having a tantrum or getting upset at any at anything. He uh, uh, that's that served him well in that case because again I thought he was very brave for for. Uh, 
for what he did, and thankfully they let they let him uh, they let him go with his stuff, and uh, the, the money that he worked so hard for was his. So one other one other quick story, and this I'll end it with uh, this for now. Where we grew up in Burnaby, I lived further east from your dad, and oftentimes we would you know we didn't have a car back then. We were about sixteen and maybe 17 and we take the bus downtown and it was usually it was the good old number i think it's the number 14 hastings express um your mom probably knows better but um, we would take the hastings express bus downtown and when we were downtown we would go shopping there was a comic store we'd go to there was golden age collectibles that had comics and movie posters and sports stuff there was another store that had all sorts of bits of baseball football jerseys and we drool over them like we wanted to buy them but we usually couldn't afford them and uh, they also had comic books and we'd go uh, clothes shopping and and sometimes we would go uh, to the local Burger King and uh, we'd go for dinner or lunch and uh, it doesn't matter what meal it was on this case it was an act of kindness that I'll never forget that your dad performed and this particular Burger King because it's downtown real estate downtown is very expensive so the Burger King is sort of a very narrow skinny tall building and as you came in the door on the left hand side there were some stools and a little counter and, and if you wanted to you could sit at this counter and eat your meal and at the front of the store is where of course you placed your order and on this given day um, your dad and I placed our order and uh, we were sitting at one of the one of we uh, on one of the stools at the counter because a lot of the all the other tables were taken and as we came in the door um, there was what appeared to be an older homeless man sort of hanging around the the Burger King you know you know ideally he was wanting to get up the nerve to ask somebody for change or that sort of thing and he but at this point he wasn't begging he wasn't asking anyone for anything he was just hanging out there and at one point he uh, approached your dad and I and uh, basically asked for spare change you know or, or something like that and or maybe even some food and uh, the manager right away stepped in and said, is this person bothering you? Um, with the idea that they were going to have this person taken out of the store and basically brought out of the restaurant. They were going to have him exit the restaurant. And without without a moment's thought, your dad uh, said, no, 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 he's going to have something to eat. And your dad went up to the counter and bought the man a hamburger. And I just thought that was a really classy, kind, definitely an, uh, an, an act of kindness. Um, that your dad showed and so I don't know if many people know that story but I just thought it was important that you heard that that uh, on that on that given day he was uh, he definitely certainly wasn't reserved he was very uh, compassionate and kind and he saw that someone was down on their luck that they could use a helping hand and as much as the manager wanted any excuse to have this person escorted out of their restaurant uh, he saw to the person not only getting a meal, um, but hopefully treated with a little more respect and hopefully they salvaged a little bit of their dignity uh, in not being escorted out in front of all these other customers. And I just thought it was a really noble, generous thing that he did. So, so I just wanted to end with that. Okay. So that's the end of the episode. Thanks to Caitlin for letting me share this story. Thanks to Brian for including some stories. And gosh, Richard, you're missed. Okay, bye.